0: Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to this fascinating journey into the chilling realm of Maryland. Can you imagine... Can you imagine, out of all the things I pronounce wrong, I wouldn't be able to say Maryland. How many people just got so mad at me? Ah, that was really good. Today we will gather to explore the mysterious and haunting legends etched into this enchanting state. Among the eerie tales that have captivated generations, we shall unravel the stories of the Goatman, the Blair Witch, and what is possibly the best named monster ever, the Snallygaster. As we delve into the depths of these myths, be prepared to venture beyond the realms of ordinary reality and into the dark corners of the human imagination, right where we like it. Brace yourselves, for the stories you are about to hear are as interesting as they are frightening, leaving us to question what lies hidden in the shadows of the old lion state. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. In the deep woods of Maryland, where the shadows stretch long and the moon casts an eerie glow, the legend of the Goatman weaves its web of fear and fascination. Despite the murky depths of multiple variants, his origins remain a mystery, a puzzle with missing pieces, each fragment holding its own story. It has been asserted that the Goatman's origin lies within the shadowy confines of a daring scientific experiment. Thought to be a human-animal hybrid, some attribute this unnatural transformation to an ambitious doctor and their ravenous curiosity. Allegedly, this happened in the United States Department of Agricultural Research, resulting in a beast hell-bent on destruction and vengeance, prowling through wooded areas with unwavering malevolence. Others, however, whisper of a different story, that of a vengeful goat farmer. In a fit of rage, he struck a dark pact with forces that dwell beyond his understanding, forever sealing his fate and transforming him into the Goatman, a harbinger of doom haunting the woods of Maryland. However, legends of the Goatman have spread all the way down to Alton, Texas. It has been argued that there are not one, but two Goatmen, separate entities with nothing but a name in common. Are these chilling coincidences or a dark link between worlds? A sense of horror surrounds the Goatman that crystallizes around Fletchertown Road. The twisted limbs of trees cast eerie silhouettes as the darkness creeps in and locals dare not travel alone at night. It was here that the legend was born, buried deep in the soil of fear and uncertainty. The exploration of folklore that brushed the edges of reality began with the article by county news writer Karen Holzer. But the clock ticked on and the line between fact and fiction was blurred and a missing puppy's gruesome discovery sent shivers throughout the community. The night air was filled with strange sounds, and seeing an animal-like creature walking on its hind legs made the terror worse. The legend clawed its way into the national spotlight as whispers of goatman encounters echoed through Maryland's towns. As the Washington Post headline read, a legendary figure haunts remote Prince George's woods. The creature caught the nation's attention. Mark Obsasnick, a Maryland folklore expert, became ensnared by the Goatman's web daily, entangling more witnesses and believers. He recalls growing up fascinated with the legend that led him to engage in Goatman hunts with his friends as a child. Despite the chilling testimonies he gathered, he could not fully embrace the existence of the Goatman, reluctant to surrender to the horrors he had yet to witness. Even so, the Goatman's ghost presence remained, etched into the region's psyche. There were eerie woods behind St. Mark the Evangelist Middle School, the Crybaby Bridge in Bowie, and the dark alleys of College Park, all of which became venues for devilish screams and spooky encounters. The news story multiplied tales of petrifying encounters with this vengeful beast. The cries of an infant or a mournful bleat of a goat signaled his arrival, a sign the goat man had claimed his next victim. When he leaped onto parked cars, claws scraping against metal, Desperate to drag his victims into his dark domain, couples in parked cars witnessed his dark presence. Despite all the frightening testimony, only one voice denied the Goatman existed, the USDA. They ridiculed the rumors of the half-man, half-animal creature haunting the woods with disdain. Despite the deepening shadows and the persisting legend, the question lingered. Could there be something beyond our comprehension? Something monstrous that cannot be explained? The tale of the goat man looms like an ever present shadow, remembered by those brave enough to consider the unexplainable. The puzzle is unsolved, and the facts are forever obscure, blended with the fabric of our national mythology. Maybe it's better not to know. Some things are meant to remain unknown. Their eerie whispers lingering within our minds instigating even the most rational to fear the cover of darkness. Hey, folks. Um, I know last week, I believe, I spoke up about like what's coming to the show, and I just wanted to give you guys more of a, a breakdown of really what's going to come. So basically, every Monday, you're going to count on your state-by-state folklore. There's going to be extra ones th- thrown in between on random Thursdays and things like that what I'm gonna try to do is the last Thursday of every month is bring back my show Last Meal show I had on a different channel I just didn't have the time to do it but I really am really I have so many episodes written for it and I just I'm so fascinated by the the lore of Last Meals and why, why someone picked that and their life and the crimes that led them to that moment it's Something that, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a little morbid, but something that really fascinates me. So the last Thursday of the month, I'm going to reserve for Haunted American History's Last Meals. Uh, because, I mean, listen, Executions in America this is a part of the Haunted American History. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be also probably the first Thursday. I don't think it's going to be this Thursday. It might be this Thursday. But I'm going to try from... Now on also either the first of, actually you know what no the second Thursday of the month the second Thursday and the last Thursday of the month are going to be special kind of things so the second Thursday of the month is going to be the fiction folklore stories that you know folklore fiction stories that folklore as far as I'm rambling right now and the last Thursday is going to be last meal and every Monday will be your basic normal regularly scheduled program. So, yeah, I wanted to give you guys an update on what's going on. Also, one other thing. I set up a voicemail for the podcast. Yes, you guys can call in. Um, I know I mentioned how like when people leave reviews on Spotify and how I can't really answer them. There's no kind of way for me to respond. So... What better way than if you're going to leave a review or uh, you want to have a scary story that you want to share, something that happened to you, give me a shout. Call it in. You know, and I'll compile a bunch of them and do an episode every now and again once I have enough of people's own scary stories and maybe I'll look into those areas, tell me where you're from, where this thing took place, and I can dig a little bit and see if I can find out maybe why that happened or what could be the cause of it, or what kind of folklore might be around your neck of the woods that could be causing these disturbances. So, I'm really excited about that. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Or if you just want to call and say, hey, Chris, I love the show. Hey, Chris, I, I hate the show. Let me know, because I'm going to play those two. Good and bad, they're going to get played. Probably during the credits. I'm going to, like, save, pick one out, and just play it during the credits. So, that's a kind of a cool thing. So, the phone number is 609 891 Eight six five eight Again, 609-891-8658. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but I just wanted to read it twice like that, like I'm on the radio. And uh, yeah, so that's basically what's coming. Thank you guys a billion, thousand, hundred, billion times for just everything that you guys do for me. Something as simple as just a review or a kind email or saying, hey, love the show, is more than I could ever ask. So thank you guys so much. And, uh, let's, uh, let's keep, let's keep rolling. Later, folks. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted. To save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So, what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. During the 1999 Sundance Film Festival, posters of missing people and confused whispers swirled around a movie claiming to be a collection of video footage taken by three hikers killed in mysterious circumstances. According to the festival guides, The Blair Witch Project was a work of fiction. Still, the masquerade made the director-writer Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez the talk of the town. During the theatrical release of The Blair Witch Project, the ingenious marketing plan blurred the line between fact and fiction, turning an indie film of $30,000 into an absolute blockbuster. Creating an entire found footage subgenre and convincing some moviegoers of its authenticity. As a matter of fact, Burkittsville was an unassuming Maryland town where the movie's demonic spirit lived. Myths may arise from any source, even the unbelievable ones. In 1998, Merrick and Sanchez wrote a blueprint for their planned Blair Witch project, which started with a promotional video. The fake documentary featured Ellie Kedward, a witch banished from a Maryland town of Blair after allegedly trying to draw blood from children. Reportedly, in the late 1800s, a boy vanished from the forest and emerged accompanied by members of a search party who had been mutilated. More worrying still was Rustin Parr's statement in Burkittsville during the 1940s that he had finished his work in an isolated area of Black Hills Forest, claiming responsibility for killing seven children and blaming it on some kind of Blair Witch. At last, when the Lost Film team's footage was discovered at Rustin Parr's house, it all fell into place. Ben Rock, renowned for being the production designer of the Blair Witch Project, recently shared how the mythology surrounding it began. He confessed to having been a little obsessed with anagrams then, to come up with that kind of witch. He took Edward Kelly, a British occultist supposedly able to resuscitate dead people along with John Dee, And created her name. Rustin Parr's character was similarly derived from an anagram of Rasputin. With a backstory now established, Merrick and Sanchez were able to provide their characters with a deep set of circumstances. Burkittville, Maryland's troubles began before Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard disappeared in the Black Hills Forest in 1991. Burkittsville is a town with history and beauty. Only 75 houses, a post office, and a church were located there in 1999. There is barely a crossed look on Main Street in Burkittsville, Maryland. Locals refer to it as a testament to a simpler way of life. Blair Witch folklore flourished in Burkittsville due to the presence of a cemetery. Its proximity to Germantown, Maryland, just 50 minutes away, where the Blair Witch Project crew was based, makes sense. The town was home to the Battle of Crampton's Gap in September 1862 one of the preludes to the Battle of Antietam. There are two spooky attractions of note found around Burkittsville. Spook Hill, along the outskirts, which legend has it contains Civil War soldiers' ghosts that pushed cars uphill late at night, and the Snallygaster. According to the myth, he laid an egg in the nearby hills. Can't wait to talk about him later. The Blair Witch Project features only two shots of the real Burkittsville, a Welcome to Burkittsville sign, and several behind St. Paul Lutheran Church, where the first victims were laid to rest. The town is small, taking up to 15 minutes to traverse by foot. According to the latest census, its population of just 150 does not contain a Black Hills forest, which explains why Merrick and Sanchez didn't shoot there, but rather Petapasco Valley State Park. To enhance the film's authenticity, actors playing Burkettville's residents were filmed in Germantown. Despite its brevity within the movie, The Blair Witch Project would go on to have a lasting impact on all involved with it. The Blair Witch never existed, nor was the area of Burkittsville ever called Blair Township, wrote Burkittsville unofficial historian Timothy J. Reese in 1999. Those who claim to have done their homework in this regard should direct their gullible inquiries to the buffoon who crafted this fictional cinematic nonsense. The locals would appreciate it if they took their fantasies elsewhere, he wrote. Those buffoons did not back down following The Blair Witch Project's debut at Sundance Film Festival. Artisan Entertainment acquired the movie afterwards, prompting Merrick and Sanchez to make further modifications, including reference to Rustin Parr and four new endings. Furthermore, a faux television documentary was crafted to air on the Sci-Fi Network one week before the film's release. Julia Fair from Haxon Films was responsible for fabricating objects to illustrate Blair's witchcraft prowess, resulting in many documents made for the flick, with one entitled The Blair Witch Cult being particularly noteworthy as it serves as the main plot driver for Heather. Fair spoke to the Baltimore Sun in 2000 about her approach to the film, The Blair Witch Project. She attempted to place it within its historical context and conduct extensive research regarding the era and Maryland's history. In Fair's versions of the events, rail tycoon Henry Burkett founded Burkittsville on the site of Blair in 1824 to exploit limestone deposits. Yet no such reserves are located near today's Burkittsville. It wasn't until a year after the movie was released that a local historian revealed the effects of Fair's research had on the people's perception of the area. You're ruining the history of my county! This caused Fair to never make another visit to Burkittsville. Hype for the Blair Witch began to swirl around Burkittsville with increasing fervor. The movie's July 30th release date approached and locals received countless emails from strangers inquiring about the witch. Postmaster Larry Ott informed the Baltimore Sun that he had to fend off constant phone calls. I've been Postmaster since 1993, he said. And if all of this had happened then, I'm sure I would have heard something. Responding to this invasion of the curious the city put two police deputies on overtime to watch the cemetery. It advised all of its residents, people may come looking for Burkittsville once they've seen the movie. Please exercise caution and remind your family members to do so as well. For some citizens, such heightened awareness meant locking their front doors for the first time. In defending the town's values, Burkittsville Mayor Joyce Brown addressed media attention just as she started her second term. She had not heard anything of Blair Witches when she inquired with some older citizens. The Blair Witch Project became a hit among cinema-goers, and its marketing campaign hinged mainly on the mythology of Burkittsville. Tourists from near and far flocked to Maryland for a mysterious experience. Almost immediately, one of the welcome signs mysteriously disappeared, and Artisan Entertainment had to pay $1,143 to replace it with a metal version. Michelle Beller, who worked as the town clerk then, noticed strange activity in the graveyard at night. Someone was decorating gravestones with candle luminaries. The mayor of Burkittsville would have called upon the president of Amity's Chamber of Commerce, who had dealt with similar circumstances after the Amityville Horror, for advice on handling the influx of tourists. Still, he was told that there was really nothing he could do. While some locals cowered, others saw an opportunity to make a profit. Amongst them was Ott, who had raised his voice about the fictitious story at hand just weeks earlier. The Burkittsville postcard business saw a boom in success, with the Postman selling them by the hundreds. Margaret Kennedy took advantage of the hype and created shirts depicting the movie's logo at her art gallery on Main Street. It wasn't long before dirt from a nearby cemetery began appearing online. Linda Pryor Millard, and her mother Louise started their own enterprise by selling Blair Witch Rocks for $5 each. Their entrepreneurial spirit marveled fans as they created their own stickman figures, full size, and refrigerated magnet versions. Finally, by August end, Linda pried herself away from her business matters to watch the movie. She expressed that it was pretty stupid. Mayor Brown was cautious. In October, to keep the children safe from the outsiders on trick or treat night, Burkittsville officially moved it away from October 31st. Brown eventually acknowledged the Blair Witch Project's place in local history by including a copy of the film in the official town record and welcoming film enthusiasts. He said they had been courteous to us, but this sentiment wasn't shared by everyone. Across the street from his office read a sign that said, "'The Blair Witch Project is total fiction,' in giant bold letters." Unfortunately, there were reports of people trespassing on property and damaging buildings. Even with visitors playing nice, people like Deb Burgone were still criticized. She allowed curious tourists to use her bathroom, until one of them accused her of putting her children's lives in danger due to living in a town where a witch supposedly hunts down children. By the year 2000, the Blair Witch craze seemed to be waning, despite stories of 20-somethings still attempting to recreate the mythical expedition cropping up occasionally. However, Hollywood would still be determined, In January of 2000, Artisan Entertainment announced plans for Blair Witch 2, with documentarian Joe Berlinger, set to bring the movie out by the fall. Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, had a twist. It took the meta approach, preceding any found footage beginning and instead telling the story of Burkittsville's sudden notoriety due to the tales of mass The sequel's producers did not expect a warm welcome when they visited Burkittsville. A report in the Baltimore Sun on February 15th described their first encounter as one of hostility. The producers faced moments of disruption and criticism at the meeting before leaving, with some members of the small town's population unwilling to speak about what had occurred, although it is easy to determine which residents expressed their grievances due to the absence of anonymity in the town. A man who identified himself as the town historian said people had candlelit vigils in the cemetery for the dead children. They'd come along the streets and peek into people's windows, asking them where the witch lived. They refused to believe that it was fiction. Despite Berlinger telling the meeting that the movie was a psychological thriller inspired by the Blair Witch Project fake, most attendees reminisced about property damage and the invasion of privacy. One of the most shocking statements came from a former town councilman named Sam Brown, husband of Mayor Joyce Brown, who claimed, "...we've already been raped, now they want us to be prostitutes." Mayor Brown said she couldn't comment. Despite the mayor barring access, they managed to shoot a few interviews with Burkittsville residents in the town sometime in the late spring. The film tells a true story of how Linda Pryor-Millard made money selling rocks and sticks from her house. In a story told by Deadburgan, who no longer offers up her bathroom, she always wears makeup when leaving the house because she's constantly being videoed. In October, Mayor Joyce Brown sent a letter to Burkittsville residents, warning them that the horror film using the town's name for advertising was set to release. Due to this, Audrey Stadnick, Larry Ott's postmaster successor, reported getting around 12 visitors daily, asking if the Blair Witch legend was absolute. The welcome to Burkittsville sign disappeared once more. In response to this, Frederick County Sheriff's Office assigned two deputies for additional security during Halloween week. When Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2 was released in October of 2000, it was met with widespread critical disapproval. The reaction from Burkittsville was a collective sigh of relief. While a little else scared the locals, they did receive a fright when Artisan Entertainment set out a cease and desist letter. Reports later suggested that even local artist Margaret Kennedy, who had been selling t-shirts without a license, got a warning from the film studio. It scared her so much that she gave all the shirts away. A favorite of the indie horror community, Adam Wingard presented his new film The Woods at San Diego Comic-Con in the summer of 2016. At the end of the screening, a shocking revelation appeared on the screen. The Woods was actually a sequel to The Blair Witch. The fake legend of The Blair Witch looked to rekindle interest in Burkittsville years after the city made its own reparations by auctioning off the studio-bought signs. The town signs have been redesigned twice since then, to not resemble any signs in the Blair Witch movie. It has been over two decades since 1999, and the world has seen sweeping changes. The internet is now filled with a variety of factoids and fiction, with paranormal activity introducing us to the found footage style of horror making and the marketing phenomenon of viral campaigns again. Meanwhile, Mayor Joyce Brown has been replaced by Deb Björgon. I hope I'm pronouncing that lady's name right. I've been butchering, I hate last names. God, please, why do you do this to me? She's the lady wearing the giant sun hat in Book of Shadows. Most cultural trends have gone unnoticed for those who remain in town. There's no Pokemon lurking around there. And even for horror fans in 2016, when the reimagining of Blair Witch came out, the nearest screening was over an hour away. Only a few people have tried to catch a glimpse in theaters giving its tepid $9.5 million weekend opening box office. Residents of Burkittsville prepared in the days leading up to the new Blair Witch movie. The mayor even advised people to reserve hotel rooms in Middletown and Brunswick to avoid any potential commotion. Today, the town of Burkittsville has reverted back to its natural state, with only the occasional rabid fan of the Blair Witch popping in. Nevertheless, there have been times when people appear to forget that actual humans live there. And some even still suggest a witch. Frederick County, Maryland is said to have been terrorized for centuries by a large winged creature known as my favorite name, the Snallygaster. This dragon-like creature is said to swoop silently down from the sky, stealing farm animals and children from unsuspecting farm folk. It is described as a half reptile, half bird. And a lot of people say it's real. As German immigrants settled the region beginning in the 1730s, they called it the Schnellergeist. Yay, German pronunciation! Which means quick spirit. Early folklore mixes half-bird features with demon and ghoul characteristics. It has been described as a half-bird, half-lizard, with razor-sharp teeth and a metallic-like beak. It sometimes has tentacles like an octopus, and the earliest stories claim it drank blood. There was one widely known enemy of the Snalligaster named dueo Dwayo is a mammalian biped with features similar to wolves, but the stance and stature of a human, so like a werewolf. Since the early settlements of the Middletown Valley, there have been vicious encounters with the Dwayo and the Snallygaster. In the following years, the Snallygaster was confined to folklore until 1909, when newspaper reports began mentioning the beast. In February and March 1909, local residents encountered a winged creature with enormous wings and a long-pointed bill claws like steel hooks, and an eye in the center of its forehead. In addition, the creature made screech sounds, similar to a locomotive whistle. Wow, that is terrifying. An article published in February of 1909 claimed that the winged creature had seized a man, sunk its teeth into his jugular, and drained his blood before dropping him along a hillside. The story gained wide attention in Middletown, Maryland's Valley Register so much so that the Smithsonian Institution offered a reward for obtaining the hide. According to reports, President Roosevelt considered delaying his international trip to hunt the beast. The flying beast appeared everywhere in the early issues. It was reported in New Jersey that its footprints were first discovered in the snow. It was also reported in West Virginia that the flying beast had caught a woman near Scrabble, roosted in a farmer's barn, and laid an egg the size of a barrel near Sharpsburg. A report in the Valley Register showed a strange creature flying in Caston, Ohio, making terrible screeching noises. He described it as having two enormous wings, a sizable horny head, and a tail 20 feet long. The first sighting of the creature in Maryland was made by a brick-burning clin operator in Cumberland. It was asleep, but started emitting a blood-curdling scream upon being disturbed, and then it flew off. Another sighting was reported in Hagerstown, near Lover's Leap, and it was said to have been seen flying over Gapland and Burkittsville, where another large egg was laid. The last sighting in Frederick County happened in March of 1909, when three men fought with the beast for 90 minutes before chasing it into Carroll County woods. The mysterious creature wasn't seen them for 23 years, but it appeared again in Frederick County, Maryland. The first reports said it was seen near South Mountain in Washington County. The new sightings were interpreted as the offspring of the 1909 creature, since snallygasters live about 20 years. I wonder who made that, that, uh, who could pass that off as fact that these things only live for 20 years? Hmm, anyway. A request was made by a local resident who spotted the creature to provide as accurate and detailed a description as possible for scientific purposes by the Middletown Valley Register. Residents soon reported seeing it just off of Boddock Heights, flying about 25 feet overhead, confirming the previous week's descriptions. Next, the Snallygaster was reported to have died in Washington County, when it fell into a 25,000 gallon vat of alcohol after being overwhelmed by the fumes from a moonshine still. According to the story, revenue agents destroyed both the beast's vat of moonshine and the carcass shortly after they arrived. Since then, no appearances have been reported. And so, my dear listeners, we bid farewell to the haunting tales that have been bounding us together today on this journey through Maryland folklore. From the half-human, half-goat legend of the Goatman to the beginning of a new folklore with the Blair Witch and the elusive winged creature known by the silliest name of all monsters, the The Snallygaster. These legends have ingrained themselves deep into Maryland's heritage. As we emerge from the realm of myths and urban legends, let us remember that these stories hold more than just frights and chills. They are a testament to the power of human imagination, how we seek to make more sense of the unknown and the enduring legacy of storytelling that connects us through the generations. Let us cherish these tales as we love traditions that make us who we are, individuals and a community. And in the quiet moments when the night falls and the wind rustles through the trees, let us remember that Maryland's folklore lives on, waiting to captivate the hearts of those who dare to listen. So thank you for joining us on this extraordinary adventure through the realms of Maryland's folklore. May these legends continue to inspire wonder and curiosity, reminding us that the mysteries of our world are vast and boundless as our imaginations. May these legends inspire the next generation of storytellers, So long and may you find solace in knowing that the truth is often stranger than the fiction. I'm Christopher Feinstein and this is Haunted American History. I'd like to take a minute and welcome the newest member of the Patreon, Christina. Thank you so much for joining. Your support means the world to me. Again, I can't. I literally can't thank you guys enough. If you want to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Haunted American History. Early releases, ad-free episodes, Discord, Access, where we just kind of hang out. No one's utilizing the Discord, though. I'm sitting there all by myself a lot of the time. But anyway, I'm in there. When I record, when I write, just when I'm watching movies, I'm just always kind of just hanging out. So, Haunted American History, patreon.com. Patreon.com so to history. Later, folks.